For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I asked veteran New York City reporter David Friedlander to lay out one moment, one scene that encapsulates what's going on with New York City's mayor, Eric Adams, right now, he knew exactly what to say. The scene is that he was attending uh, an event in New York a a couple of weeks ago. I think he was leaving the event with his security detail and um, FBI agents stopped the vehicle and ordered Eric Adams to turn over his uh, phones, tablets, devices. I mean, this is the kind of thing that really feels like it's, it's out of a movie. Um, you know, I, I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, the, the FBI does not stop uh, the mayor of New York and demand his phone unless they fear that he's going to sort of throw it in East River or something. We don't know exactly why the FBI was after the mayor's phone, but we can make some educated guesses. The district attorney in Manhattan is investigating the Adams administration over campaign finance irregularities. The home of a top aide was just searched. There are allegations that the mayor's team was getting paid to do favors for the Turkish government. To be clear, the mayor insists he is not the target of any of these investigations. But the news is not great. It also isn't getting better. Over Thanksgiving, Adams was slapped with a sexual assault allegation in civil court. In the past, David Friedlander says... Eric Adams has always been able to brush off this kind of controversy. He's been a sort of Teflon politician with a megawatt smile. And when he took office less than two years ago, many thought of him as the future of the Democratic Party. You know, I think if there's been a sort of consistent criticism of him uh, since the sort of, you know, day he was sworn in is that he sometimes isn't always like paying a lot of attention to the running of the city. Um, and he's the sort of quote unquote nightlife mayor uh, in a way we haven't quite seen before. He loves the club. He loves the clubs. He loves the clubs. He's out a lot at clubs and parties. If you kind of look at where he's tagged on Instagram, you'll sort of see that like, wow, this guy, he's sort of all over the place, kind of living his best life. At the same time, the polls are not particularly kind to Eric Adams. Like a Marist poll just found that his job approval with New Yorkers was 37 percent. It's a pretty precipitous fall from grace. It is. And, and I, you know, I've, I've heard of private polling that puts it even even lower than that. It isn't helping that the mayor just announced deep budget cuts. David says Eric Adams is worth paying attention to right now because he's in a tight spot facing local and federal investigations into him personally, facing political pressure from voters And no one seems to know what happens next. And, you know, he's also a mayor who, in a funny way, he's kind of always been running against New York City. I mean, the biggest critic of the way New York is operating right now really is um, is Eric Adams. 
So you're saying New Yorkers are like, back off. We like this place. <laughs> yeah, or, or at least like come up with some solutions, I think, um, is the real thing. If you were mayor right now, how worried would you be about your political future? Oh, wow. That's a great question. The sort of political dynamics in a funny way, like, haven't shifted based on what we know so far. But, like, there's so much smoke with this dramatic stopping of the vehicle and getting the phones and all this stuff. You just sort of wonder what else is out there. Today on the show, how much longer will New York City Mayor Eric Adams be living his best life? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. David Friedlander says the first thing you should know about Eric Adams is that scandal is not new to him. If you look back at his political career... He's been making ethical trade-offs for a while now. Adam's background is humble. He was a transit cop, but he always had a taste for the spotlight. In 1995, Adams and others formed 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, an advocacy group fighting racial profiling. He used that experience as a platform to vault himself into politics. He ran for Congress um, in the 1990s. Unsuccessfully. Very unsuccessfully. He gets an incumbent. I, I can't remember now if he w- ran as a Republican or a Democrat, but he, he was briefly a Republican. He, he was a Republican um, when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. I think that the congressional run, though, is important, though, because it was a long shot bid. He was gathering signatures to get on the ballot. And he did this thing where he was he accused the incumbent of, like, stealing his signatures, right? Without evidence? Yeah, correct. And, and like, you know, it was a kind of congressional run, that the kind of person who is just a kind of, like, gadabout of local politics would do, right? Somebody who, you, like, people run for Congress like that, where they don't really have a constituency, but they're in the news a little bit. They're just trying stuff out. Yeah, they just like want a bigger platform kind of thing. Um, You know, he traveled to Indiana to sort of uh, shepherd Mike Tyson out of prison um, after Tyson was was in prison uh, for rape, something that actually earned him a rebuke uh, from the um, police department. So he's always tilting the camera towards himself, which is a political move. Yeah, with with sort of like a bit of outrageousness, um, doing things, I think also that like his base of support, you know, among voters of color in Brooklyn are going to like look favorably on. Um, And then eventually decides uh, to run uh, for the state Senate. And he's successful there. He's successful there. Um, It was sort of a little bit of an undistinguished record in the state legislature. I mean, his one of his first major speeches was calling for pay raises. Um, for lawmakers. Um, hmm. He would do he would start campaigns, you know, kind of dedicated to having um, 
uh, young people pull their pants up. Respectability politics. Yeah, he cut PSA uh, videos uh, teaching parents how to search their kids' rooms and backpacks for drugs and guns. Look through it to see what exactly is your child carrying in addition to a book. Something simple as a crack pipe, a used crack pipe. Could he have found it on the street? That's quite possible. But this is- was he a good state senator? Did he get stuff done? I mean, they were in the minority, so there wasn't there wasn't really like much to do. Um, he got into a, a lot of trouble in his sort of first kind of um, corruption allegations, where he was he was on this committee that was um, going to sort of uh, vet various bidders who wanted to bring uh, uh, gaming slots to a, a horse racing track uh, out in Queens. He was on that committee, and, and he was sort of seen as sort of giving favoritism uh, to the group that ultimately won that contract. For example, he went to the victory party that they that they held after they won the contract. And it was just kind of the first of many uh, red flags, I think, that would kind of follow him throughout his career. You're underlining something else, too, which is like, until becoming mayor, maybe he didn't have a ton of responsibility. Like, he was a politician, but as a Democrat in the state Senate, like, the Democrats didn't have power, so he could just be noisy and kind of be there, but he didn't have to govern, really? Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. And and and, and also no one would be no one would pay attention to a lot of the stuff that was happening. He then became Brooklyn Borough President. For listeners who are outside of New York, I think we should just explain what the borough president is, because it's mostly a ceremonial role. Yeah, it's it, I mean it, it is. I mean, they sort of have it's it, like it sounds kind of impressive, but they sort of have less power than like a city council member. Um, and he started a, a, a nonprofit uh, when he was there uh, that was kind of soliciting donations um, from people with kind of business before uh, the borough. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like a way to get, to kind of get around campaign finance laws, potentially. And borough president was never the goal. Even as a cop, Eric Adams said he would one day be mayor of New York City. In the 2021 race, one issue in particular, one he had a lot of personal experience with, became his campaign centerpiece. His focus was really on on crime and kind of cleaning up the city. You know, he used to say that, like, New Yorkers weren't, like, getting what they paid for with with their taxes. Um, And as someone who is, you know, both a a black man and a former uh, police officer, you know, he could really talk about crime and justice uh, in a way that few um, New Yorkers could. It's a very traditional way to run for mayor in New York City. I think everybody, when he ran for mayor, everybody sort of thought of him like as the front runner, as a front runner, but wondered if he would stumble just because there were all of these questions around him. I mean, when he was usually written about, uh, in the papers when he was president and a state lawmaker, it was usually for saying, like, kind of nutty stuff. Give me an example. Yeah, for um, after the the shooting at the Pittsburgh synagogue, you know, he sort of encouraged people to um, bring, you know, firearms to, to church and places of worship uh, to protect themselves. Um, he said that if he were mayor of New York, that he would he would carry a firearm and he wouldn't have a security detail. At one point, he cut the ribbon on a, I think it was a LGBT senior housing um, in his district. And he kind of castigated the people there as, you know, being interlopers and gentrifiers. So as a candidate, Adams had his advantages. 
But these gaffes made him risky. In the Democratic primaries, he only won the nomination by 7,000 votes. That's nothing in New York City. But he seemed to be the man of the moment. I think what happened was there was a crime, a post-COVID crime spike, and crime became the kind of central issue in the race. And he was the only person who was talking about crime. And he talked about crime incessantly and really leaned on his history uh, as a police officer. And like whenever there was a a major crime in New York, like a high profile crime, uh, I think there was a shooting in Times Square, you know, a stabbing on the subway, this kind of thing. He would show up to the crime scene and and host a little press conference um, about it. And, you know, he was sort of the person positioned as like, I'm going to keep you safe. It was funny to me how as soon as Eric Adams cinched the Democratic nomination for mayor, he began talking about himself as the future of the Democratic Party. He literally had a press conference in front of Borough Hall in Brooklyn. And he basically was like, hey, guys, I just did this. And if you don't pay attention to me... You're going to all lose. You're going to lose the midterms. You're going to lose the presidential race. I'm the face of the Democratic Party, of African-Americans, Caribbean, of white working class people. Uh, They want a city and cities uh, to be safe and productive for children. It was pretty bold, but it was equally bold to me how many other people seemed to just sort of accept that he was right about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of related to what I was saying earlier, you know, back in the kind of 2020 primary and, and afterwards, right, there was a concern that the, the Democratic Party had like moved too far to the left. It didn't care about crime. It didn't care about quality of life. It didn't care about middle class homeowners. Right. Um, and so he was saying, I am the person who I have figured this out. A big issue among Democrats is they're losing support among working class voters and especially working class voters of color and even more especially male working class voters of color. And here's a guy who is a working class man of color who has one election in the supposedly liberal progressive city. After the break, Eric Adams stares down challenges and scandals much more serious than anything he's experienced so far. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So who did Eric Adams become once he assumed office as mayor? I mean, I think in some ways he has approached the office as still someone who's like a state lawmaker. You know, he kind of calls on other political figures to do things. 
As opposed to doing things himself. Exactly. Which is what people want your mayor to do. I mean, he's been castigating um, Joe Biden, for example, for not providing aid to the city to handle the migrant crisis. Um, and, and there's been like a lot of that, you know, calling on federal officials, calling on state officials to, 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 to do stuff. You characterize Adams as a mayor as kind of like setting himself up as you know, against the city, like sort of fighting the city. He's also fighting the Democratic Party a bit too, right? Like one of the major things that's happened under his watch is this influx of migrants from the southern border. Initially, there were these buses that Texas Governor Greg Abbott was sending north. Then it all kind of ballooned because New York City has this right to shelter for people who are in the city and don't have a home. Can you describe how the migrant crisis has shaped Eric Adams as a mayor and how it's also shaped his relationship with people who you would think would be his colleagues, like the party that helped get him into office. Yeah, I mean, so I forget the, the you know, the sheer numbers of, of migrants uh, that have arrived um, in New York so far. It, it, it's a lot, but it's also not a lot of people for New York City. Like New York City is a really big place. It's a place where um, to this day, close to 40 percent of New Yorkers were born in a, another country. Um, people come here all the time. But you know, and, and also in a funny way, you know, his administration, they've done like a, a pretty fantastic job of managing what is a difficult crisis. Um, and th- there are not a lot of great options here. You know, there's not a lot of like empty space, empty buildings, empty rooms to, to house people. And they've managed to kind of pretty much house everyone uh, creatively. And these aren't great places. They're, they're not permanent. Um, they're not places you probably want to be in winter or in a bad storm, but the city is is managing this under very difficult circumstances. But the mayor doesn't talk about that that often. What he does talk about is how these migrants keep coming, and if they keep coming, they're going to destroy New York City. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. This issue will destroy New York City. It's pretty ugly rhetoric. It can be. It's it's, it's only unfamiliar rhetoric to hear um, from a Democrat. I mean, it's really like it's, it's, it's very familiar to kind of Fox News or, or the New York Post. Mayor Adams' personal troubles started back in the summer. That's when the Manhattan District Attorney charged six of his donors – one of whom was an old friend from the NYPD with campaign finance violations. Here's what they're accused of. Since the city matches small first-time political contributions at a rate of eight to one, you give one dollar, you get eight, these individuals made many additional donations under falsified names of relatives, employees. This made it rain for the mayor and curried favor with him, allegedly. Eric Adams at the time said he wanted to let law enforcement do their jobs and that he had no knowledge of this scheme. But that was just the beginning of the finger pointing. Fast forward a couple months and Eric Adams is flying down um, to Washington, D.C. 
to meet with White House officials to talk about the migrant crisis and how the city can get money from them, uh, get, get help from them. He shoots a video uh, where he's on the plane, you know, prepared to take off from LaGuardia or, or wherever it was to go down to D.C., you know, post it on social media. Uh, and then later in the day, we find out, in fact, he, he never made it to the White House, uh, that he was on his way down and abruptly turned around and came back to New York because federal uh, law enforcement agents had raided the home of the chief fundraiser of his campaign for very similar allegations um, to what the Manhattan DA was investigating involving straw donors. Only this time, the straw donors were seemingly were coming from Turkey. Uh, So now we have a little bit of like, you know, international intrigue to, uh, again, what is just an odd kind of penny ante scheme. Uh, and it also is, is you know, a federal law enforcement raiding the home of a top aide to the mayor of New York City. <laughs> That's an escalation. Over Thanksgiving, Adams was hit with yet another scandal. A woman accused the mayor of sexually assaulting her back in 1993 when he was a police officer and she worked for the city. So now he's got a sexual assault allegation and campaign finance violations. But David says... That's not even what makes him most worried about Adam's political future. I thought um, the thing that like put more blood in the water, as it were, was actually when he announced the budget cuts. You know, with there, there's now not there was supposed to be a three K program for three year olds uh, in in city schools, and that was going to be cut. Library service is going to be cut on Sundays. There's going to be less trash pickup. Um, you know, because that's the moment when. You know, you can sort of say, well, look, um, there may be all this stuff going on in my personal life, in my you know, political life, campaign finance. It's all confusing. You don't know what it is, but at least the city is thriving. But if now there's austerity budget cuts, you know, at that very moment, well, wait a minute. I, I thought that, you know, the deal here is that you, if you can manage a city, we'll like look past some of this other stuff going on. But if now we're all going to have to kind of hunker down to weather this storm, um, you know, that's going to get political opponents, you know, very interested in, in taking the city in a new direction. You know, I think it's important to say here, Eric Adams has been dogged by ethical allegations f- since the beginning of his political career. And he's the man's a phoenix. <laughs> he's just he's kind of kept going. Is there any sign that what's happening now is somehow fundamentally different from what he's encountered before when people have in, have questioned his ethical wherewithal? You know, there's always been he's always been sort of questioned about kind of cutting ethical corners. Um, but this feels different. Uh, you know, federal agents stopping your vehicle and, and seizing your phones uh, for several days, you know, that's an escalation that we haven't seen. I, I've been covering politics a long time. I, I can't ever remember a moment like that. And I think what's sort of flummoxed a lot of people like me uh, is that we just don't know what this is all about. Um, it just seems like if this is a straw donor scheme, even a straw donor scheme from Turkey, even a straw donor scheme has been reported where, you know, essentially you can kind of give money to the the the, the mayor's uh, po- political campaign and they will kind of push projects on your behalf. No, that's not 
super ethical, it's not clear it's super illegal either. Hmm. And it's really not the kind of thing that usually draws the interest of federal agents. I think what you're saying is you don't think the last shoe's dropped here. Yeah, I think no one knows what's going on. We just know that this, you know, massive escalation happened and there's sort of been it's sort of unclear what's what it is all about. And we think somebody knows that, like the federal judge who signed off on the warrant uh, and signed off on the FBI agents, you know, surrounding his vehicle or whatever they did. But what it's all about, it's, it's mystifying to people, including me. David Friedlander, I'm so grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. A lot of fun. Thanks for having me. David Friedlander is a New York Magazine contributor. He's also the author of The AOC Generation, How Millennials Are Seizing Power and Rewriting the Rules of American Politics. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus, which is our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to find out how. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time.